0: interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Jackie, wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No, be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore, and sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast
1: (laughs) welcome everybody to my bloody podcast the show all about horror movies we have a very special episode today we have a fantastic legendary intercontinental champion filmmaker of all movies his latest film, Son, starring Emil Hirsch, the horror movie you need to see. Ivan Kavanaugh is on the show. Welcome.
0: Pleasure to be here. Nice to meet you.
1: <laughs> nice to meet you, too. Now, are, are, are you in the States right now?
0: No, I'm actually in Sweden at the moment. I'm in southern Sweden, a town called Simrishamn, which is um, it's actually minus 15 outside at the moment. The sea has frozen, which I didn't even think was possible. We actually just moved here. My, um, my wife is Swedish. And um it's beautiful. The, the the trees look like ice sculptures, but it's well it's bloody cold.
1: Oh, it is bloody cold. I can relate to that because I'm in Dallas, Texas, and last week there was Snow where all the yeah. power went out, people lost water, and it was below zero here too. I was
0: reading about that. Is that, is that a first for Texas or, or, or So
1: not a first for Texas, but uh the worst it's ever been with the whole state losing power and uh and water. It's yeah. definitely a first. But yes, the last time this kind of happened was like 11 years ago during Super Bowl. Um wow. But yeah, no, it was it was awful. We had to like it was like a horror movie of survival for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's amazing. Snow in Texas is something I never thought of ever. It was, it was just so surreal looking at it.
1: It, it is. Well, we were colder than Alaska for several days last week, which
0: makes no sense. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. It is really like the beginning. It's, it's an omen at the beginning of a horror movie. you know?
1: Right. Right. Uh, so we're going to talk about all these horror movies. But first, just like Sound of Music, we have to start at the very beginning. Ivan, where did it all begin for you in film? Was it something you watched uh, from your parents that showed you on an old TV uh, where, where did it begin for you with film?
0: The very, very beginning. Well, I always loved me. I was one of those kids that never, hardly ever had to be forced out to go and play. I was always watching TV and the movie was on. I had to had to watch it, you know. Um, my father was uh, a movie buff. Um, he's one of those guys who knows every character actor in a, in a movie, you know, um, for pre-1970s, just like an encyclopedia. And... Um, the first memory I have of watching a movie was, um, it's a, a Ray Harryhausen movie, Valley of the guy. Have you ever seen that? Yes. It's, yes. It, it's, it's, I'm a big uh, Ray Harryhausen fan. <laughs> and apparently I don't remember this, but I still have the memory of the dinosaur being burnt to death at the end of that in, in, in the church. Uh-huh. And, um. Apparently, I was totally inconsolable, and my mother had to pretend to me that dinosaur dinosaur got out the back door. That was the only way she could calm me. I was four years old, I think. You know, so it was a real visceral experience for you. Oh, it's just it just hit me. So I can still see the image. I've never seen it since, but I can still see the image of the dinosaur burning to death in, in the church. It just hit me so hard, you know. And the next image that comes to mind, I was about seven and I had a fever, and I went downstairs. It was the middle of the night, and my mother and father were watching Rosemary's Baby. And it was that scene right at the end where she says, what have you done to his eyes? And, oh my God, that just traumatized me, in a good way. uh,
1: Yeah, I I was going to ask you, why is Rosemary's Baby such a great horror film?
0: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it seems to be I've watched it countless times since. It's a perfect movie. It's perfectly cast. The framing is of every shot is so perfect. You can't imagine the film being shot in any other way. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, the, the cast is just impeccable. The pacing of the film, that, that amazing music, the the music, so with the, with the lullaby at the beginning, and even the pink uh, titles at the very beginning uh with the the scroll of um Rosemary's baby everything about that film is perfect perfect you know perfect horror movie or perfect right. movie
1: yeah no for sure uh where so when did you first pick up that first like old school video camera and start making movies
0: oh I was really young um 12 or 13 my mother got it, one of those one of the first ones it was a high 8 <laughs> the big tapes and you slot them in Um and I could film it and I, I tried to edit as I was shooting, but it didn't quite work. So what I did, I, I, I had this method of um, of having two VHS recorders back to back. And I, I started to edit that way from one VHS tape to another, you know. And I actually got quite good at it, you know. It, you could time how far the tape goes back. And uh, that, was the, that was my first foray into, into filmmaking. I was really young. I was only early teens, so. And I actually, I knew that moment I began filming with that high eyed camera that I, this is what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I felt so like I was born to do it almost. It was amazing. What did you, what did you make? Would you remember what you made? Oh, it was usually it was some horror stuff. I remember the very first thing I shot was because um, uh, I had seen Psycho when I was about 10 and it was a, uh, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a shot of blood going down a drain. That was the very first shot I shot. That was when I was about 12. <laughs> and um I think I panned up to my sister whose throat was meant to be cut. It was so it was really gruesome stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh it was just stuff with friends, jokey stuff. But they became more and more sophisticated as they went along. And by the time it came to I'm from a really working class part of Dublin, and the idea of actually becoming a film director or a writer was so far beyond my reach. It was like you you might as well want to be an astronaut, you know. And um I remember I made one particular short when I was in my early 20s, and a a friend of mine says, that's amazing. You should send it into a festival. And I had never even dreamt of doing that. It was just something I did, you know, as a hobby. And I sent it in, and I won an award, and and it just went on from there, you know? So you went to school for film? No, I'm self-taught. Oh,
1: you're self-taught.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, so um, when the de- digital revolution happened in about 95, and I was about maybe 23 in 95 or 22, and uh, when that happened, um, I got a bank loan and I bought uh, my own uh, editing equipment, and a computer, uh, Final Cut Pro. I bought a new tree chip digital camera and a Sennheiser mic and a, and a boom pole. And I was the one-man film uh, crew, you know? I filmed it. I uh, recorded the sound. I edited it. I did the sound design, and uh, I did three self-funded feature films using that method. Oh my goodness! You were like that
1: person with all the instruments slapped to them, you know, like on a yeah. carny ride, but you for film.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
1: And so was there an an element to all of these, uh, like you're like the jack of all trades here that you really enjoyed? Like, was it like being a Foley artist, doing the sound design, or was it really doing every bit of
0: filmmaking? Well, the the most stressful part is always filming, and it still is, you know? Um, But I always felt at home and calm on the set, and I I don't feel like that in any other aspect of my life, you know? Um, But I do feel confident on the film set. But my, my... my um, favourite part was always the sound design. Always, I for me, sound design is half the film, you know, and it's such a neglected, neglected part of the movie making. I, I think you know, and I usually spend as much time as I do on the sound design as I do on the picture editing, you know. And um, what the great thing about not going to film school, and it could be perfect for someone else, but for me, doing everything yourself by the time, by the time it came to working with big crews. There's, There was nobody on that set who could tell me something was impossible because I had done it already myself, you know. I knew what was impossible and what was possible, you know. And there's plenty, sometimes there's plenty of uh, people, who, adversaries on film sets. But when you know your stuff, they can never say anything, you know. So that was real, that was a real gift, you know.
1: That's, that's great. I'm glad that you did that. And you kind of had like the hands-on experience and trial by error, you know, you've moved forward and, you know, going through your resume of films like the canal and never grow old, like your films have been submitted to festivals and they're winning all the awards, which is crazy. So going through your mind, you're like, there must be, there must have been a moment where you're like, shit, I'm good at this. And people know this. Like, was there a moment yeah. when you realized that?
0: Yeah, it was, it was at the very first, um, it was actually before, it was the second festival I ever entered. And it was the only one I could afford to go to because it was in Ireland. And um, I, uh, they, they did this round of short films. So it was about 10 short films in a row. And I watched, watched all those short films. And just for me, I realized, well, my, my movie isn't very good, in my opinion, my short film. I have a lot to learn, but I know this: it's better than all of the rest of them. So I have an I have an edge, you know, and I I did realize that for sure, you know. And then also when the film started to um, I made a, sh- a very provocative um in 2003. I made a very provocative um, uh, short film called Bandage Man, and it was a it was a kind of anti-hero uh, superhero, but very very. Uh, provocative and pushed a lot of buttons and stuff and then um, again I went to the the, the, the galway film fly in, 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 in Ireland, and again they showed a, a series of shorts, and the lights were down for all of the shorts and then all of a sudden the lights come up just before mine started, and they made like a public health warning before anybody who is uh, has weak nerves or or has um, easily offended should leave now i thought wow that's 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 a nice build up for the film. And then the lights went down. And when the film started, I heard like a scream and a thump. And then this old woman was carried out. She had fainted watching the film. And I thought, this is amazing, you know. And I didn't announce myself at the film festival. And I went out to the lobby after. And half the audience were saying, that's the best short film I ever saw. And the other half were saying, that guy should be sectioned in the mental institution, you know. So I thought. Two of the best compliments ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I, if the short film had had a poster, I would have put boat on uh, on the poster, you know. Oh, that's good. Cool. But that was a, that was amazing. That was amazing. Oh, yeah, that, there were were the moments I remember um, when I first knew that I had an ed- edge over some other filmmakers, you know.
1: Oh, not many filmmakers can say that people actually fainted and had that such of a reaction in their movies. And yes. that just makes the movie right there. You're just like, <laughs> wow, I did something right. <laughs> I, I,
0: I've, had, I've had people getting angry at uh, some of my films, like The End of the, the Canal. I don't remember. remember A Woman Gives Birth to a Baby and... A dead baby and she's dead and that always provoked people but i've never had anyone faint since and i'm, I'm such i'm so disappointed i've been after that ever since you know <laughs> <laughs> try, try. try to
1: create that yeah, yeah, yeah. it might happen with sun because there are well, some pretty so. crazy mov- uh, moments here so uh let's get into sun a little bit here sun you know it's a mother son story At its core, I believe, and there are very horror elements about it, but it's also, I think, kind of like a mother-son love story in a way where you're trying to protect somebody and there might be uh, supernatural or maybe mental illness there. But uh, I really enjoy this because, I mean, it's shocking and scary. At the same time, there's actually elements of Rosemary's Baby in here and The Exorcist. The best parts of that that come to together. So, with son, where was what what spark? What sparked you to write this? Because you wrote this as well, right?
0: Yeah. Um, Well, it came from a very like all my films. It usually comes that I write. It usually comes from a very personal place. And this one began after my um, first son was born about five and a half years ago, and he had a very difficult birth, and we were really worried about him for months after. And um, the doctors couldn't wait to figure out. We knew something was off, but we couldn't figure out what it was. We had a lot of sleepless nights. We couldn't, nobody could figure out why he was crying all the time. It felt like he was in pain, but we couldn't figure out why, you know. And um, during that time, I saw how close uh, my wife and him were becoming. You know, that mother and son bond. It's so, there's something very primal about it. So special. It's so different from a from a from a father and, and child's uh, relationship, it's which can be close, but it's something about a mother and a child is different. And I began to think of a story, you know, a mother who loves her son. Is there anything she wouldn't do to protect him? Is how far would she go to keep him alive? Is there anything she wouldn't do, you know? And that was the starting point for the film. So I began to jot down ideas during, in between feeding the baby and the baby crying in the middle of the night, I began to jot down the ideas for the film and it started from that very, very personal place, you know? And I think maybe the emotion of that goes into the, I hope it does in certain scenes of the film, it goes into it because no matter what the mother and son do in this film or who they are, who they really are or what they've really done, they deep down, they really, really love each other, you know, and they have a really close relationship. And I hope that comes across.
1: No, it, it, it does. It, uh, you could really feel the love because, you know, the first scene of your film, Son, is like pretty chaotic. And, you know, you're you're like in a whirlwind of like, whoa, what is happening here? And you're like, oh. And then, you know, it cuts, you know, several years later and everything seems kind of like maybe a leave it to beaver type of thing. You're like, yeah, where did we get from here? <laughs> and what is going to happen? So can you talk a little bit about – um, perfectly crafting, you know, these tender moments in these really truly chaotic, sadistic moments.
0: Well, I, I love films that are constantly wrong-footing the audience, and, and, and I love change in moods for for films. The Exorcist is actually a great one for that, where where he goes. There's a lot of scenes where he goes from extreme loud sound to complete silence, and the opposite, you know. And uh, I, I I love. I love the audience not being able to guess exactly where the film is going. You think you do, but you don't, you know? And um, the opening, I just wanted to open the film with a real bang. So the audience, no matter how long, it doesn't take that long to get into the action and the horror elements, but so I could take my time then getting to know the characters a little bit. If I just begin it with a big bang, you know, and I wanted to, I always know I wanted a very visceral in both sound and vision, the opening, and um, I was thinking of the opening, or, or that, those amazing driving scenes in Psycho, where she's driving to the Bates Motel and it's raining. And I wanted to open with something that was quintessentially American as well, which was the diner. So we knew where we were immediately, you know. And and then when the audience thinks maybe they know, well, she's going to give birth to a monster, or something horrible is going to happen. We realise it's just a sweet child, and and she realises it there and then, and everything suddenly changes, and 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 she hugs him, and then we see it's it's seven years later, and and they seem to have, they seem to be living in a Norman Rockwell painting, like an idyllic view of America, you know, and that was the structure of the film that I wanted. I wanted it to go from Norman Rockwell into the underworld of Taxi Driver, you know, and that's that's there are the two references. I wanted to just show every aspect of America that I had seen. I wanted to show the idyllic, all-American, uh, normal walkway view, but also the the hell of it as well. Those those amazing, rundown motels and the poverty and 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 the underworld of the pimp and the prostitutes and stuff. Right. Um, which and for law and so it's like Laura's journey into hell, basically.
1: Yeah. No. It it is because you know you showcase a you know the conflicted view of something you have to do kind of like little shop of horrors you know you're like okay (laughs)
0: that's true feed me feed me now
1: (laughs) (laughs) you want yeah you kind of there's a conflicted like you want your favorite person in the world to live but what are you going to do? Like, is there nothing, like you said, there's nothing you can't do. So was there anything in like, in your drafts of your screenplay that you went like a place you went to that
0: you said, okay, this is too much. Or is it all? No, I never do that. I never self-censor. I leave that to others because you are, when you hand it to someone else, they're the one who's going to say you've gone too far, you know? (laughs) Um, no, I don't think there was, not with this one. I know there was huge pressure on me in the canal to cut the birth scene that we just talked about. Huge pressure. Everybody wanted me to cut it. And I said, oh, this is the image that is going to stay with everyone. This is the nightmare image that nobody's expecting, you know? Mm-hmm. And I tried to put a few of those images into the canal or into um sun as well. It is a scene, I don't want to give it anything away, where it's a slow track towards the sofa and then the, the, we look over the sofa and we see something and, and yes. I, I, I want those type of images to be as like images you see in a nightmare that you're not you can't get out of your head that you're not expecting to see you know it's not right. what you expect or maybe it is but it's more horrible than you expect you know and uh yeah I, I I like horror movies that tap into that nightmarish quality of cinema that that only cinema could do they're like they're like watching dreams they're like waking nightmares
1: Right. So we have to I have to talk about um the actor who I think he, uh his name's Luke, right?
0: Luke yeah. So
1: a young kid and I wish I was in his shoes because holy shit, if I got to be part of all the gore and the blood and all of this, I would have the time <laughs> of my life. So did and, he have the he time did. of his life? Did you get to oh, yes. throw all he the blood on him? Verse. Like talk to me about that.
0: <laughs> well, I, I I knew that the film would hinge on finding the right kid, you know, because he he has to do stuff in that that most me, uh, adult actors would find difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. So we spent a long time looking for the right kid, and um, we auditioned a bit about five hundred kids, and it was actually quite late in the process. It was about two or three weeks away from filming when we finally found Luke, and we got this self tape in from him and his that his father took of Luke reading from some uh, scenes from the film. And he was just so natural. He was such a breath of fresh air from all the other kids that I had seen, you know, um, many of them were very good, but the majority were very movie kids, you know, they just seemed so fake or, or they didn't seem natural at all. And I wanted to, I wanted the film be, because it's so fantastical to be grounded in some sort of reality for it to work, you know? So anyway, I drove down to from Memphis the next day, down to um, uh, Atlanta, where he's from. And I met him and I talked to him and we filmed some improv with him. And there was no difference on camera and off. He's that talented, you know? It was just, he was just always natural. It was just incredible. And I ran the producers there and then. And I said, um, this is the kid I found him, you know? Um, amazing. So, anyway, the, the, his father Matthew is also an actor and he was an amazing ally in the whole process, you know, cause I was able to say to Matthew, um, you, but not Luke should watch say um, one example I gave was uh, you should watch cries and whispers by Igmar Bergman. Yes. And uh, watch how the, the woman in that reacts to the pain of her cancer, you know, and if you can convey that to Luke and practice that, and that's what they did and so when he came to the set Luke was already prepped about the kind of thing I wanted so all I had to do was push him a little further and tweak his performance a little bit but he was extraordinary I mean I could give him very so such subtle direction and he could could take it like like an adult such an intelligent way beyond his years actor but as far as the gore is concerned he loves all that. I mean, he was taking selfies all the time and his father was taking... You know, it was just great fun. And that's the key. If you're working with a kid in a horror movie, and I, I did before on the canal, I had a young a five-year-old in the canal, it's just to keep it like a game so they don't really think of it as a horror movie and to also expose them to the mechanics of the filmmaking as well. So uh, let them into the process of how the blood is mixed and how we get the colour of it. So to him, it's just goo, and 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 it's 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 just good fun, you know. And at the end of the shoot, um, uh, we, I said to uh, Luke and his father, I said, well, what was your favourite scene to shoot?" And he said, "Killing the pimp," and uh, <laughs> and he didn't he didn't want to uh, leave the um, he didn't want to leave the set. He just loved it so much, especially the gore. I mean, I know I would have loved it. Like you, I would have loved that as a kid as well.
1: Right. And like being an adult now, do you love working with practical effects versus digital?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I grew up loving, you know. For me, it's still far superior than any CGI, you know. I think the audience knows subconsciously, unconsciously, that that the CGI is not there. It's made in the computer, you know. It's there's something cartoonish about it to me when it's overused or I like CGI when it's used in conjunction with practical effects to maybe smooth out wires or, or scenes and makeup, which we did now and again, just look at tiny tweaks. But for me, I mean, I think the prime example for me is, is, is the original King Kong where um, I had more emotional investment in, in that, in that uh, puppet made out of plasticine or whatever than I did in the billion dollar uh, J- Peter Jackson CGI version, you know, it's just because I think deep down, you know, it's even though it's made of plasticine or whatever, it's there. It's real. It's it's in the frame, you know? No, it's true. And,
1: uh, One of my top favorite movies of all time is 1933 King Kong.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so amazing. So it's good. just, I, I showed my uh, five-year-old son that and I thought, well, it's black and white. It's um, 1933. He's, he's used to watching what does he like? He likes Harry Potter and stuff like that. Is he going to sit through it all? He just lapped it up, you know? And he, he lapped up that that it was so, I mean, it's quite graphic and violent for its time as well. I mean, when, when King Kong kills those, that Tyrannosaurus Rex and he, he breaks rips the, the jaw open and half, plays with yeah, it. And yeah. You see, <laughs> and you see the blood dripping down, and, yeah. and it's, it's really amazing. It's an amazing film. Amazing that's good. there's that's a film that, there's a film that's dripping with atmosphere is king kong it's so great
1: it is it is oh i'm glad you brought that up oh that's good yeah no i love all that so now let's uh transition into the score of the sh- of the film um with music by is it as a hand he's a a hand because Han, you've yeah. worked with them before right
0: yeah on three films um it- as I said before, I, I used to do my uh, the sound design on all of my films, so mm-hmm. I was very specific about it and i was very I was very um possessive of the sound designs. I was unsure whether I wanted to collaborate on with anyone on, on on the feature film but the the canal was a fairly it was a million dollar budget one million dollars and 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 it's not that much but it was more than any film I'd I'd made before and it was a there was a lot involved so I, I wanted to find someone a collaborator and I did an Aza. I mean um what I do with, with with sound design is I um I uh I have even when I'm writing I can hear the film in my head. So then I try and convey that to Aza. For him he says it's like a jigsaw puzzle trying to figure out exactly what I want but I'm able to spot the film like music with him um, and say, it needs us to rise here or go down here. You need a particular type of sound. What's so amazing about Aza is that he always adds so much more than I had imagined. And he makes it so much better. And because what post sound design always bordered on music for me, it seemed like a natural fit that he would do the music for the film. So, um, when I wasn't quite working out with my first composer on Never Old, the Western and I did, I just asked Asia to have a go at doing the music, and he just he just blew me away. He was just just the stuff he came out was just perfect for the mood of the film, and uh, and I said, you might please please do the sound design and the music on on Son as well, and he did an amazing job. He's such a joy to work with. He's a great guy. He's so talented.
1: Good deal, good deal. Yeah, because the, the, I mean, the score is great because it added and enhanced all those uh, suspenseful and horri- horrifying moments. But the the sound design, the foley of like some of the more terrifying scenes, man, yeah. um, fully immersed me. <laughs> I was like looking over my shoulder, like I hear this crunching, I hear this goop. I was like, oh yeah. yes. And I like I, when I, that that in, I think that really enhances the movie going experience or movie watching. I,
0: I lo- I love the sound in the um, at the Pimp Motel. That, that thumping, uh, it's just amazing. That's exactly how I imagined it, you know. And that's exactly, that was some find, that motel. It was the most bizarrely positioned motel I've ever seen. You know, with this amazing, nightmarish factory behind it. It was just incredible, to, incredible find, you know.
1: Right, yes. Um, so is there any, um, is there... Any advice? Since you've worked with so many great people over the years, is there any great single piece of advice that somebody's given you about filmmaking that you'd like to share?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a tough business, you know. It's 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 really. I mean, people say it's cutthroat. I think that's underestimating there. Or it's (laughs) it's it's (laughs) it's worse than that, you know. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's really tough. uh, But the best advice I ever heard, and I always remembered it. I remember in the mid-90s, Martin Scorsese did a lecture in Dublin after a screening of Goodfellas. And someone asked him that question. What's the, what's, he asked him a question, what's the, what should a, what's the uh, characteristic that a filmmaker should have? And, and, and he said tenacity. And that's something I always remembered, you know, that perseverance to never give up. And that's the thing you need, and you need total self belief in what you're doing, because there will be a million people that you come you'll come up against who say no, you should do it this way or that way. You should always remain true to your own vision, you know, because it's your film. You should make your film and nobody else's, you know, and um, and always stick to that, and always surround yourself with like minded people, and, and and try and. <clears throat> um not surround yourself with with ne- negative influences as well or people who are trying to make a different film than you I, th- I think that's really important
1: good good that's great advice and uh since you know you're just like this prolific filmmaker right now is there anything next what what what's next who's next
0: <laughs> well i i just finished um writing an eight part tv series for MGM called the vanishing triangle which i may or may it's I can direct it if I want to, but I'm not sure about it. I enjoyed writing it, but I'm not sure whether that's what I want to do next. So what I'm going to do is um, uh, I think I just finished a script called Vengeance with the uh, crime writer, uh, John Bassoff. And it's a, it's a neo-noir. I think it's a really great script. We've already had interest for some really great actors and um, it's just gone out for financing now. So I think that will probably be next. It seems like it's, uh, g- gaining momentum really quickly you know and um, I've just sketched out an idea for a horror film set in 17th century Ireland as well which is based on a real witch trial which I'm really excited about you know and I've also I've found a, a novella that I loved and I've just thought I don't I haven't got the rights just yet but I've talked to the author and he's totally up for it because he was a big fan of the canal so I'm, I'm sketching out an idea for that as well so I'm not sure and I've been offered two other scripts as well so Whatever which one hits first, I'll do. Cool, cool,
1: and I, yeah, I guess my my question after that: uh, Do you bring anything from Ireland's culture into your filmmaking?
0: I'm not sure. Well, I am Irish, so <laughs> you don't say. A big, I, bring, I bring my, I, I bring my, I bring myself into it. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I try. I've always tried and make. I, I've always tried to steer clear of anything too Irish or, or too stereotypical Irish. I've always tried to make films that were more international or something. So I'm not sure. I must have, because I grew, I grew up there, you know, I must have some way of seeing things that, 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 that's, you know, that only Irish people could see. I, I'm not sure. I, I can't pinpoint anything in particular, I don't think. All right. I, I know, I know that uh, because Sun was my first film in America, um, I know that I saw America differently than than, than Americans, you know, because I, I, you know, because I was spotting stuff that they would just take for granted. Mm-hmm. But to me, it was very cinematic. And everywhere I was pointing the camera, it looked instantly cinematic to me because I grew up in American movies. And I felt like even before I went to America, I felt like I knew the country even before I, I, I visited it, you know.
1: Do you have an example of that?
0: Was something was really cinematic that we take for granted? Um, like the motels. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Motels don't exist in Ireland or, or, or most of Europe, you know. So they were really exotic to me. Or the American houses, that those streets with the face, those very particular Laura's house in the film was very that American look. Those those overhanging trees, those line trees are very American. At the diner at the very beginning. Uh-huh. So American, you know. Um I don't know, everywhere I looked it seemed really cinematic to me. And, and maybe it was only Mississippi, but to me, it felt like in America, everyone acted like they were in their own movie. They were larger than life than back home, you know? <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't know what it is. It, it might be because this, this, this population is so big and the country is so vast that you have to be larger than life to be noticed or to, to not blend in or, or to be different. Uh-huh. But it, it, people just seem so much more interesting to me than than, than back home. But um, that's just me. And of course, the swamps in in Mississippi were just wow. They're amazing, <laughs> dripping with atmosphere. Everything about it.
1: That's great. That's cool. All right, let's get in a couple of the fun questions. Uh, all right, what are uh, what what is your most thrilling uh, experience in film, both as a fan and as a filmmaker? um so like examples like something when you first went to a movie theater and you saw this movie was that the most early moment you know like perhaps like king kong being revealed in 1933 you know or and then as a filmmaker something when you were on set
0: there's a few there's a few examples um i can think of most of them the, the stuff that made an impression on me was when i things i saw when i was a kid and i'll never forget Um, I think I was five years old or four years old when my father brought me to see um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I remember what seat I sat in in the cinema. I remember the exact seat. I remember what the floor looked like. And I remember looking down at my feet uh, that didn't go over. It must have been really small because it, it didn't go over the seat. It was on my feet. I remember looking at my feet on the seat and I remember looking on the screen and seeing that scene where the little boy is abducted, which is an amazing, amazing scene. When they come down the chimney and, and those lights outside, it was just one of the best things Spielberg ever did, that scene. It's just so tense. That was a huge impressive impression on me. And then another one for me that really solidified sound and picture for me was going to see um, Wild at Heart, the David Lynch film on the cinema. Oh, yeah, yes. And they really had the uh, sound pumped in that. And that's another example of of sound design that goes from near silence to incredibly loud really quickly. You know, and that's a film that, like Sun, it's a completely different type of film, but it has changing moods in it, like like um, like Sun. Uh, it has moments of extreme tenderness and love mixed with extreme violence. And that's something that son has as well. And I think the canal had that to an extent as well, where you see these um, tender moments between father and son, followed by an absolutely horrific scene in the next scene, you know? So I, I think Wild at Heart and the cinema had a huge impact on me and, and the power of sound as well, you know? Yeah. And the most memorable um, uh, moment for me on a film set was, I made a film called The Fading Light which is a very personal film about a, a woman dying of cancer. It's pretty, um, it's a good film, but it's, it's a tough watch, but it's very personal it's about my family. But um, at the end of it, I had a scene in it where one of the characters goes up in a hot air balloon and me and the cameraman got in the hot air balloon and I was doing sound. I had the boom and the cameraman was there with the red camera and the actor was there. you supposed to be, you're supposed to have taken the balloon on the, Uh, stolen it and went up so we just went up in the balloon and the guy who was running the balloon was off camera but all of a sudden it was just beautiful, if you've ever been in a hot air balloon it's completely silent, it's like floating but all of a sudden I noticed we were picking up speed and we were going really frighteningly fast all of a sudden and I could see the guy who was running the balloon turn completely white and he said "I I think we're in trouble, we need to ditch we need to go down now and we just, he said, okay, before we hit, bend your knees and get down. And we slammed into the ground and we were dragged a couple of hundred feet all along the ground. And everyone was on top of me. I remember. And I remember that the, the pilot light, the flame was above my head and I could feel it. The heat on my head and all of the bottles of gas were on top of me as well. It was absolutely terrifying. And, Apparently, I don't remember. The first thing I said was, "Is the camera okay?"
1: <laughs> A true filmmaker, there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and the camera, cameraman said, "Fuck you, we need died, You know. <laughs> um, do you yeah, have it anyway. on? Do you Do you have the tape of this? Yeah. Do you know what the worst thing is? Um, when we got out, but anyway, the exhilaration I felt after surviving that was unbelievable. But the terrible thing is about it when I tried it in the film, the scene didn't work. And I cut it out of the film. And the <laughs> cameraman, he never forgave me. He said, you motherfucker, you know. Um, oh, my God. That, that, that was that was an experience I'll never forget. But it went from extreme beauty to near death to exhilaration of surviving to is the camera okay? It was amazing. Oh, man. Like, like <gasps> an emotional roller coaster right there. Absolutely. That, that was the most memorable for probably all the wrong reasons. And I didn't even use it. <laughs> hopefully you still, like were you recording that like do you still have the tape of that yeah the, the footage is amazing it's beautiful but um it's not good for me oh the God. film <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> oh my that's a story and a half all right yeah so i know you we've talked a little bit about uh certain scenes in movies but i gotta ask are there any other particular scenes in movies that have always stuck with you you know where you wake up and you're like fuck I love this scene. This inspires me. This is what, you know, I want to aspire
0: to when I'm making my movie. Maybe there's a couple of, I, remember, I always remember seeing um, another one was um, lost highway. When I started listening <laughs> yeah. uh, and Andy, the, there's two scenes in that, that stayed with me. And I always find inspiring. It's the, it's the, it's the party scene where the guy goes, comes down with the telephone and he says, call me. And uh, it's fucking genius. It's amazing. It's terrifying. It's funny. It's like a dream. It's it's totally illogical, but it, it works. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant piece of filmmaking. And then I remember the sound that always stayed with me at the very end when he's transforming again and the police are chasing him and the police lights are behind. That is just astonishing, you know, that those two scenes from that film. Really, really always inspired me and always stayed with me. Just incredible. They're the first two that come to mind.
1: Oh, good. The Lost Highway stuff. I think I believe I have that soundtrack on vinyl behind me. That oh, was so great. A one. Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. Well, yeah. Ivan Kavanaugh, everyone, thank you for coming to my bloody podcast. The 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 spotlight is on you now, Ivan, in, in the vein of your favorite pro wrestler.
0: Tell everyone where they can find sun. Uh, Sun opens in the US uh, theatrically, although we still don't know how many screens will be open, but hopefully in the cinema near you and on VOD the same day on March 5th, which I think is next Friday, I think, Thursday or Friday.
1: It's great. It's great. And Are there plans for a Blu-ray or a 4K or anything like
0: that? Yeah, yeah. Um, There'll be uh, deleted scenes and uh, I think I'm supposed to be recording a uh, director's commentary as well and a documentary as well. So Blu-ray is being made for sure. And then it will be released on Shudder, I think, in April or May. And uh, it'll stream on Shudder in Canada, the US, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. And it's already sold to the rest of the world or most of the world. So, yeah, it'll see the light of day, which is great. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Thanks a million. I really enjoyed it.